You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and in this episode we're talking about something we have never covered before, leadership and fiction. How can reading fiction help us develop as a leader? My guest is Melanie Bell and she does a wonderful job of convincing me about the power of fiction. She helps us all feel better about the time we spend reading novels. It's not a self-indulgent time waster. It's actually an extremely valuable element to our development as a leader and indeed as a person. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Melanie Bell. Melanie Bell, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Look, an absolute pleasure to have you, Melanie. I've broken some of my rules to have you on the podcast today. We are recording at a very unusual time for me because you're in a completely different time zone. But the reason I got you on is because (laughs) I love your topic. I'm almost 200 episodes into my leadership podcast and have never come close to discussing this topic, leadership and fiction, what we as leaders can get out of also being readers of fiction. I love it. I can't wait for our conversation today. I can't wait to geek out on on what we love to read as well as, as lovers of reading and what we get out of that. But tell me, first of all, how did you land on this as a topic? When did you start to discover that really strong connection between leadership development and fiction? Sure. So I think the idea had been kind of percolating for me for a while. The first time I really drew the connection between the two of them, I was working at a previous job. I was working at a startup accelerator and so mentoring quite a few startups that were going through a cohort of our program. And I had finished my MBA and done that. And a friend of mine recommended a science fiction book called Ender's Game. And I'm not a big science fiction reader, but I picked the book up anyway and read it and like read it in one day. And I just remember this feeling at the time where I was like, oh my gosh, I wish we had read this in business school because honestly, this would have been better in all of these leadership classes that we had than studying the biographies of GE's former CEOs and that and that kind of thing. And so for me, that was the kind of the first time I was like, oh, that actually this book would have been more helpful than the traditional business books that we were supposed to be reading. And I remember thinking, gosh, I really wish I could get these startup founders to read this book. There are like so many great lessons in there. And I left that job and I, I started my own company. So I've been doing that for eight years. And in the last few years, I'd really started to ramp up reading more fiction myself. It was something I had really missed early in my career that I used to love doing. And I could tell as I read more novels, I started having different types of client interactions. So most of the people I work with are C-level executives. And I could just tell in my communication and my presence and my confidence, I felt like I was showing up in a really different way. And I thought it was very much attributed to the books that I was reading and kind of the lessons I was learning from characters and books. Look, I couldn't agree more. And I'm all, because I'm so, I'm an avid reader and before this conversation, I, I just jotted down, I, I went through my Kindle and jotted down some of my favorite authors and the books that I've read over the last few years. 
in case that came up in the conversation. And it just reminded me (laughs) of my love for reading and and how important it is to me in my life. No matter what work I'm doing, but I've had a, a couple of phases of my career, reading of fiction has been a constant. And I've always had this, I don't know, a feeling like an intuition that it is helpful beyond me just enjoying the story. It's helpful for me as a human being and conducting myself and navigating this thing that we call life. And and I think that has been reinforced by a number of articles that I read. I remember ages ago, it was about 2011, I read a fabulous article on HBR, the Harvard Business Review, about fiction and leadership. And it kind of just put into words what I guess I intuitively believe to be true. It always amazes me, Melanie, I don't know how you feel about this, when I get into a discussion with a friend or a colleague and it kind of comes up that they don't read, they might say, like, oh, I can't remember the last time I read a book. And when I did read it, it was a biography and there's nothing like biographies, but people who just, for whom fiction is just not part of their life. But what are the stats on that? What percentage of adults in countries like yours and mine are regular readers of fiction? Do you know much about that? I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I do remember at some point, especially as I was kind of digging in, and I did do quite a bit of research to see like, hey, a vinyl, is this kind of a unique take on it? And looking up statistics, I remember there was one stat about how many books people have read, I think, you know, after they graduate from college. And it is shockingly low. I, I mean, I, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I'll, I'll send you the number um, after we talk if I can find it. But I remember just being absolutely flabbergasted at the number. And in some ways, I looked at it and I thought, well, so in my house, my mom is growing up, my mom was a big reader. And my dad, who was the business guy, didn't read. I mean, like he read, you know, the Who Moved My Cheese book when that, you know, when that came out. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Exactly. And uh, read newspapers and read, but he, and, and he's retired now and he still doesn't read fiction and it's just not a part of his life. And I was talking to somebody about that recently and they said, oh, maybe it's a generational thing. If you were in business, you know, that's kind of a softer skill. But I, I still think that I see a lot of people who are 20s and 30s. I mean, you could say it's not a generational thing for them. And it's still not wanting to pick up a book, especially not a fiction one. And I think sometimes there's a lot of guilt. <laughs> like people are like, I feel like if I'm going to read yeah, after it's work, too it indulgent. Be- yeah, it's like, I want to, I feel like I should be reading something that's going to help me do my job. And I'm like, but fiction can help you do your job. Do and we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that really directly soon. We'll get to the nub of this and ask how fiction can help us. But it, the idea of reading, and, and as I said, I'm always stunned when I realized that a lot of people, most people maybe even, don't read. But it is such a family yes. thing. Both my parents were avid readers of fiction. Mm. And my dad essentially retired into being a reader of fiction. He was always a great reader. And then when he retired, he did very little else. And he just churned out the books and was a lovely point of connection for us. And there was something that we could talk about. And there was a number of authors that we shared. And we, we read stories and, and talked about them. I love that. And I noticed that my kids are nine, six, and four, and my nine-year-old devours books at, at a rate greater than, than I do, and, and that makes me Amazing. so proud. And for some reason, it, it just gives me this sense that he's going to be okay because the literacy advantages that he has because he reads 
as opposed to someone of his age that doesn't read, as well as all of the things that we're going to talk about today, the understanding of relationships and the dynamics that exist within the world and all of those ideas and the complexities that he's exposed to through fiction are something that will hold him in good stead. My six-year-old is going yeah. down exactly the same path and my four-year-old is going to start school in January and there is no reason to think it should be any different. And I love that about them. I love that if there is one thing I've passed to them, it's my love of fiction and the value it adds to my life. So as readers of fiction, we can feel very snotty and good about ourselves <laughs> that we're getting one up over everyone who doesn't read fiction. All right, we'll give you the thesis, Melanie. Why does reading fiction make us a better leader? Yeah, so I have definitely gone down a rabbit hole on this. And to me, one of the most interesting things was the neuroscience that backs this up. And so part of it is, so when we're reading, our brains actually go into simulation mode. And that doesn't happen when we're watching movies. It doesn't happen, you know, if we're just talking. It's really that reading exercise, we, especially with novels, the brain is wired to identify with the protagonist. So we're identifying with somebody else. And then our brain goes into the simulation mode. And I just think it's like we get to walk through these consequences in these situations that otherwise, we can talk about them, but it's not the same as having lived it. And I think that, you know, as we get older, we acquire more experience. But what an amazing way to get a lot more experience than you can fit in into your 24-hour into your life. And then the other thing that I found that I thought was really interesting here was when you're reading the way that writers approach nonfiction books, especially business books, a lot of times they're trying to break down problems into their core essentials. How do we communicate this quickly? How do we make these lessons clear? And the but life is kind of messy. And as leaders, we're constantly dealing with messy situations and gray areas. And things don't work like they do in a textbook or in a business book. And fiction writers, especially if you're reading, like, I would say high quality fiction, one of the goals is how do I I'm kind of exploring this problem from all these different areas and showing these facets of it. And so to me, it's like, so we're in a simulation mode and the environment in which we're dealing with and the challenges that are coming up are going to mirror much more closely what real life is like, where, you know, you don't have just kind of cut and dry principles. The solution isn't always obvious. Look, the point that you just made there, when, before this conversation, I jotted down one or one and a half ideas as to why I thought leadership was enhanced by fiction. And that was exactly what I wrote down. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote down the words moral complexity. Fiction yeah. adds that lifelike dimensions, multiple dimensions in the way that we interact as human beings, the different personalities we have, the different things that drive us, our challenges, the things that are sort of paradoxical, even within ourselves. And it teaches us to manage that. And fiction presents for us a whole bunch of different situations where a whole bunch of characters with myriad of personality traits combine in a way that a leadership program, no matter how fantastic, can never simulate. It's almost yeah. like lead, you know, leadership development, even when best delivered, is like in a laboratory. And we're learning the science behind it, which is so interesting. We're learning the great frameworks that help us shape our thinking and give us language to attach to different experiences that we have and all of those wonderful things that leadership development does, but it can't simulate the complexity of the human dimension. Exactly, exactly. 
been using this analogy a bit recently. So I have two stepkids and my stepson is 16 years old. So in Houston, at 15, you can start learning how to drive. So over the last six months, yes. That is young. That is so (laughs) young. It is very young. At least, so it is way more restrictive than it was when I was growing up here. But yeah, it's young. And so over the last, I think he actually started driver's ed. I can't really remember. Six months ago, nine months ago, he's been on the road for about six months. And there's the classroom component to it. And then there's the, okay, now I have to actually go practice with an instructor and practice with my parents. Mm. So he practices a lot with me. And what I've told him is, like, you know, I can sit down and think of, 10 things or 20, you know, situations on the road that are going to be kind of complicated. And I can tell you how you should handle that. But there are actually like 80 scenarios he's got to learn how to react to. And I'm not going to be able to just sit down and be like, oh, yeah, well, what happens when you're driving and it's two lanes and then there's a construction zone and it's an intersection and a car comes and pulls up in front? You know, it's like, these and the sun's coming it? down, and the, and and there's there's sun shining in your eye from from yeah. the southeast. That kind of thing, exactly, I, exactly. And I think to me, I was like, yeah, this is a lot like leadership. Is some of the basics we can learn, some of the core principles, somebody can you know start to teach us so we can recognize it. But it's almost like as we've been leaders for longer, we almost need a more sophisticated way to keep improving ourselves. And nobody is going to be able to say every single situation in our careers that we're going to face, (laughs) whether it's a client, whether that's an employee, whether that's managing up, you know, anything like that. You have to have that life experience. But to me, it's that fiction where you can shortcut isn't quite the right term for it. But I think, you know, you can have some additional richness to pull from when you're in those situations. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. As you were talking, I thought of an analogy that's right up my alley. Dismiss it if you like, but I love golf. And as all golfers know, Mm -hmm. you go to the driving range and you practice your swing. And that is the real swing that you play with when you go and play around on a Saturday But standing on the range where you just get to hit ball after ball on a flat surface that is usually synthetic grass, it gives you the perfect lie. There's no little lumps and bumps. You know, there there, there is wind and sun and things like that, but it's all very controlled and you can just keep doing swing after swing and it's very easy to fool yourself that you've got this game sussed. And then you get out on the course and there's lumps and bumps. There's long grass and short grass. There are trees in your way. There are greens that undulate all of that kind of stuff. And and I kind of see the driving range like traditional leadership development, an absolute necessity. And without time mm-hmm. on the driving range, you're not going to develop as a golfer. But playing on the course, that's like the novel for leadership. That gives you all of the nuances, all of the different dimensions that the driving range could never hope to replicate and wouldn't even try to replicate. All right, so yeah. Melanie, as a lover of leadership and fiction, yes, what are some of the books, what are some of the characters that have really brought this idea to life for you? When you think about fiction giving us the color that we need to be successful in our life and, and as leaders specifically, what has contributed to that for you? Yeah, so like I said, I think the first time where I just really went, wow, I wish I had read this in business school, the book is... Ender's Game, 
is Orson Scott Card is the author of that. I think I've got that right. <laughs> so that was like where I really drew that connection. So there's the first book that, you know, as I started, okay, are there like-minded people? Let me, let me see. We're going to start talking about this, that, and I, it's a recent, more recent book. It's called The Mercies. The author is Kieran Millwood Hargrave, and it's a historical fiction book. It takes place in Norway in the 1500s or 1600s. And it's based on a true story. So it's like up in like the Arctic circle of Norway. And on Christmas Eve, when you're this the men in this very small fishing town, I think there were about all of 30 or 50 of them in total, went out whaling to catch this. They saw a whale. They all went out on their boats and a tidal wave basically came up and killed them all. And so overnight, this village was wiped out of men, which is how they got their food and did all sorts of stuff in the village. It was like, you know, this inappropriate thing for women to do. And the story is really about a few of the women that how did they adapt to that situation once they're like thrust into, you know, figuring this out on their own. And after a while, they also get basically a religious leader who's assigned to come take care of them. And so you get some interesting stuff of, you know, how do you respond in a crisis? What are the different, you know, roles that characters will, you know, different people will take on in a group setting? What happens when you have someone from the outside who comes in? How does their approach, how is that effective or not effective for that group survival? So to me, that was another really kind of just interesting one that I felt like had a lot of leadership lessons. I love historical fiction. I'm as, as much yeah. as I'm a lover of of reading and fiction, I'm also a lover of history. And the idea yeah. that some of the best writers can take a period of time in the distant past and understand it so thoroughly and then plonk in their characters and a story. That's for, amazing. It, it is like a treat. It's, it's unbelievable to me that I can be getting the two things that I love the most in my intellectual world, an understanding of history and this fabulous story where I get to know the characters and buy into the storylines and, and care about what happens to them. It's almost too good to be true. One of my dirty little yeah. secrets as a reader is Ken Follett. Uh, I, I say Love it's a Ken dirty Follett. little secret because there's something about me that <laughs> kind of shies away from mainstream successful authors and I can't stay away from Ken Follett. I think, despite the fact that he's been writing for so long, I think I've just about read everything that he's wow. written, including his latest, I think it's his latest, which is called Never, which is actually a look into the future. And it's the first time he's done that for a little while about a potential nuclear war in, in South Korea and all of the, mm. all of the connections. And that's the other thing it does, fiction does for us. It helps us understand the world, even through a fictional future that Ken Follett paints for us. I see today's global political challenges playing out and it just helps me to understand. And one of the other things it helps me to understand is that behind every move that we hear about and see on the TV, all the big moves like Putin invading the Ukraine, the Ukraine defending itself the way it has, members of NATO providing weapons and resources for the Ukraine, all of that stuff, China watching on, thinking about what they will do in, in Taiwan. Behind all of that are individuals, and not just the one individual making the decision, like Putin, but all of the people who are advising them, the people who are around them, the people who disagree, 
all of that story is happening behind the news that we watch. And being a reader of fiction helps me to at least imagine it, at least recognize that those things are going on. All right. So what should we do then? Should we be really active about this? Should we get really geeky and spreadsheety and keep a list of the books that we read and the characters that we've engaged with and the lessons that we've learned from the way they interact effectively and not effectively? Or should we just enjoy being fiction readers and understand and trust that by some process that resembles osmosis, our love for reading and the characters we enjoy sort of infiltrate the way we conduct ourselves, or should we be more deliberate about it? So I think, I mean, if spreadsheets are your thing and, um, you know, all the power to you, like if you really want to track it, some people really get a lot of value out of that and want to make this a like real formal exercise. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I have toyed around with this idea so I'm like, well, but reading is such a pleasurable activity does our pleasure decrease if we have you know I I feel like you know it's important that we play it's important that we do creative stuff that doesn't necessarily have a purpose but if you are feeling guilty like don't feel guilty because this you know has a benefit like there's some good stuff here for you I mean my approach I think I you know I do track what I read mainly because it's a way of holding myself accountable and I find it fun and I will now remember all of the books that I've read otherwise. But at the same time, you know, for me, the the best thing to do that I have found is have people to talk to about it and get every time you can read, like you can have 15 people read the exact same book and everybody will have picked up on something that's a little bit different. And I think there's a lot of value in that conversation and that sharing as well. Hey, very soon, I'm going to ask Melanie to leave us with her top three tips for making this thing, the fact that fiction is so helpful to us as leaders come to life in your life. We're going to give you some tips before the podcast ends, but let's just talk about reading a little bit. I've got a couple of questions for you. One of the questions is about gender and and how you view this and, and how it plays out in your world. I have come to the realization that I am a total male chauvinist, embarrassingly so when it comes to my (laughs) reading habits. When I list all of the books that I've loved and the authors that I admire, they're all blokes, all of them, except for one of them. One of them I'm reading, I'm rereading at the moment. I very rarely reread a book, but I'm doing that at the moment with a trilogy called the Ghost Road Trilogy. It's World War I set in a... uh, a mental hospital or a a place for for men from the war to go and rest once they've got shell shock or some sort of neurosis from being in the trench for too long. And that's by an author called Pat Barker. I first read it as a very young man, uh, 1998. I remember where I was living and I loved it. It blew my mind away and I've been recommending it to people for the last 20 odd years. So I thought I'd reread it and it's just as fantastic as it was the first time. And fortunately, I've got a memory like a goldfish So it all seems brand new again. So that's Pat Barker. But apart from Pat Barker and a um, and a a wonderful book my wife put me on a little while ago called American Dirt by Janine Cummins and a few along the way, all of my loves are men. I'll run you through my list: George Orwell, probably my number one; Arthur Kestler of Darkness and Noon, Scum of the Earth, Gladiators fame. I love Arthur Kessler. I would read his shopping list if he ever published one. A fascinating story as well as a, a brilliant author. Albert Camus, Franz Kafka. 
a recent Australian author, uh, Steve Toltz, who has written a number of just ground, groundbreaking, probably not, but pieces of literature rather than just books. Mm. His first was, yeah. was huge, a fraction of the whole. I love Anton Chevkov, the Russian short story writer from the 19th century. I even, can you believe, I read War and Peace a few years ago. Did you? I did and because I, I, I just had to do it. I read the Moscow Trilogy very recently, Simon Seabag, Monty Four. I've just uh, so much stuff. And, you know, one of my other, this is probably not a dirty little secret, but it, it, I think with this guy deserves more credit is Ben Elton. I don't know if you've come across Ben Elton. He's a British no. author who has long time lived in Australia. His books are undervalued, I think, as a, as a writer of fiction. But what I'm getting at here is, and I'm sort of ashamed of it to a degree, but I can't see it changing too much, is I'm such a male chauvinist pig when it comes to what I read. Is that true for a lot of people? Do we tend to read within our gender? So I don't know if it's true that women are more likely to read books by women, but I do know that it is true that men are more likely to read books by men and very few books by women. So there's actually a prize and an organization in the UK called the Women's Prize for Fiction. And they had a whole campaign this year before they announced their winner where they had male celebrities talk about books by women that they've really loved. So like Stanley Tucci was one of the guys that they had involved with this because I'm sure because his wife is involved in publishing that he got in that. But And it's because men, it's very rare that men will pick up a book by a woman. And so this prize is deliberately one of their things is to encourage more men to read books by women. So you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make like, it any less terrible. No, but it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think, I do think, look, if you think about the classics for a long time, you would have just naturally more books would have been written by men. Um, that's, that's true. You know, so I, I think it's really recently that you would have had more books by women. Not, I mean, not that there weren't female authors before. I mean, we had Jane Austen and, you know, the Bronte sisters, but they're kind of the exception, you know, to this massive canon of literature by male authors. So I do think that's typical. I also think, and this is very broad brush, so it's not true in the specifics, but I think my perception is that a lot of times when you have male writers, a lot of the there's a lot more plot, it's action-driven, it's very external, whereas when women tend to write, and it's, I will say tend because this is not a hard and fast rule, but they're more character-driven, maybe quieter plots and novels or that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I was talking to someone recently and he was like, oh, I was so bored with this one book, but, you know, I really, I always want something that's very gripping. And so that, maybe that's part of that tendency it's probably easier in some ways for companies to market books when they fit into the mold that people are, are used to. But well, I do, I, I, it is a thing that, you know, we, I haven't seen the stats for how the proportion of books that women read by men, but I do know the other way around it. Well, it's I'm, disproportionate. I'm mildly improving and, and largely thanks to recommendations <laughs> from my wife, which are always excellent. Now, tell me, yeah. before we get to your top three, how do you read, Melanie? Are you a, a strictly sort of before you go to sleep at night kind of girl, or do you read any time? Is it, is it a, a thing that you could just pick up a book at any point during the day? What's your habit? So, I, I mean, if I had nothing else to do, I would spend all day reading. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, I have to do client work and all that kind of stuff as well. 
So I, I do tend to do my reading at night, after work, and on weekends. But I, I don't, I've watched a lot less TV. I still do watch some TV, but I'm definitely not the person for a lot of shows to be like, oh, did you catch this? Or, so, you no, know, if sports are on, I'll, I'll sit in the room, but I'll read. Yeah. So, and it took me a while because you know, I work in marketing and it's like kind of at the end of the day, it's like, oh, my eyes are tired. I've sat all day and, you know, in front of a computer, like so many of us do at this point. And it's like, oh, do I want to read? And for me, I, I do, but I understand where people who are, computer fatigued at the end of the day from an eye just eye strain perspective don't want to do it but i think it's like any other habit where you you get into it if you find the books that you love your eyes get used to it and you'll want to read it your eyes won't be that tired they'll be fine yeah look i, I get that i spend all day reading as well sitting on my computer reading stuff but you know what it's like yeah. a totally different type of reading when i turn on my kindle at night and i'm a kindle guy these days and have been for for well over 10 years. It took me a while to let go of the physical book, which I love so much, but it's yeah. all, all the novels are now on the Kindle because it's so easy and I can read after my wife wants to go to sleep without keeping her awake, nice. all that good yeah. stuff. But it's just different type of reading. And for me, it it's so therapeutic to cast my eyes upon quality literature at the end of the day after I've spent all day reading crap. You know, the way yeah. that you know, emails and even articles online, even the newspaper is written is so uninspiring from a literature point of view. So it's not a case of me thinking ever. I've never thought that, oh, I've spent all day reading. I'm not going to read again tonight. It's actually, I can't wait to read something decent. Yeah. I can't wait to read words written by someone who knows what they're doing, an artist. So yeah, love it. I love hearing about your habits of reading. I love talking about reading and all things books, quite obviously. And let's leave right. our listeners with some really fantastic tips, three tips from you, Melanie, as to how they can best leverage the advantages fiction brings to their life. Sure. So I think for me, the biggest thing that people need to start doing is just trying it out. I think you can pick something, pick a book that you would love if you're getting into it. If you don't like it, then pick a different book. You know, I think that there's really stuff and stories out there for every single person, but you just have to kind of force yourself and actually try it. If you don't currently have a reading habit, get in the habit. The second thing is pick a book and read it with a friend or a group of people and talk about the book. I think we kind of made, you know, book clubs here have a bit of a funny reputation of older women you getting together and nattering. And I am a part of my neighborhood book club and it's just been a fascinating experience. It's been very rewarding. And then as I've you know, started other groups or talking to people about books, it's even so much more rewarding getting to talk about it and like, oh my God, can you believe that guy finally died? Or, you know, I hate that character. It just helps bring it to life and have it not, I'm an introvert, but it, it's nice to not be completely isolated with what I'm reading either. And then the other thing to me too, is it's like recognize that you're a human and that you do need to have time that's sometimes it's unproductive. And that's a in itself is productive. So if reading isn't for you, then let it go and go try something else. But I think if you really look for a good book, you'll find one. That is wonderful advice. Melanie Bell, it, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting Thank you. with you about fiction and leadership today. One of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. Thank you for coming on. I love it. Thank you so much. And that 
was Melanie Bell, I could barely contain my enthusiasm for the topic. I've been an avid reader for as long as I can remember, and always, intuitively, I had the sense that, as well as the best form of entertainment, my reading habit was beneficial for my personal growth. This conversation with Melanie has further enhanced that concept for me. What about you? What are your reading habits? What does reading bring to your life and your growth as a person? I loved Melanie's three tips. Number one, try it out. If you don't have a reading habit, develop one. I guarantee you won't regret it. Number two, pick a book and read it with a friend so you can discuss it, probe the plot and the characters, get a sense of the way we interpret meaning differently. Make it a shared experience. And number three, recognize that you're human. It's okay to spend time doing things that aren't directly productive to your job, your role as a parent or partner, or whatever else it might be. Give yourself permission to indulge in the pure pleasure of reading. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Melanie on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.